Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I know, as you do, how much Donald Trump <laughs> and uh, Rudy Giuliani and the whole gang, I mean that literally, how, how concerned they are about corruption in foreign countries. The uh, lengths they went to to uh, battle corruption in Ukraine uh, are currently dominating America's attention, at least on in Washington. I think America's attention was dominated by the world. Well, no, not really. But there's a nutty situation where corruption is flourishing to such an extent that the citizens are out in the street being uh, protesting and being killed by uh, the authorities. And it's a country which I think most people in the United States are a little more familiar with than Ukraine. Welcome to the new Iraq. After the defeat of IS, endemic corruption is now the main threat to Iraq's stability, alienating the population from its ruling elite. In, this is from a British think tank called Chatham House. Not Chatham Up, Chatham House. In March and April, an extensive opinion poll carried out across Iraq found that the population was only united, the populations, the different sectarian groups, were only united by very high levels of pessimism about the future of their country. The center of their concerns, key factor in driving mistrust, corruption. Up to now, political corruption has been primarily treated as an individual crime, but it's primarily, according to Chatham House, being driven forward by the structure of the political system itself, a structure set up by the U.S. government and the role that Iraq's political parties play in it. The uh, political parties that dominate Iraqi politics share access to corruption through the mechanisms of the pact which has organized politics in the country since uh, 2003. God, what happened then? Who came in then? What changed then? The system, the pact, divides cabinet positions among senior members of the parties that win each national election, but it gives those politicians, as a key part of election negotiations, the power to appoint positions at the top of the civil service. In the aftermath of each national election, the winning parties get together to negotiate a government. Ministries, cabinet offices, and the budgets they control are awarded to the parties in the election in direct relationship to their success at the ballot box. Chatham House researchers suggest that in the aftermath of the last election, way back in 2018, in addition to a cabinet post, the awarding of approximately 800 senior civil service jobs spread across all the cabinet departments was part of the negotiations. New ministers then set about putting their party followers and faction members on the payroll. This has led, since 2003, to the rapid growth of the government payroll, from 850,000 employees in 2004 to between 7 and 9 million in 2016. Party-aligned 
directors general in the civil service allow the resources from contract corruption across all the departments to reach the parties that make up the ruling elite. The government's contracting process was uh, described by the most senior government figure responsible for, for pursuing corruption as, quote, the father of all corruption issues. That is to say, the government contracting operation. Contracts are awarded to companies run by or close to senior party members. The companies are then paid handsomely. Complaints about poor or non-existent delivery are ignored as the same senior politicians who ensured they won the contracts protect the companies that they and their parties financially benefit from. It's this contracting fraud that underpins the majority of government corruption while also providing the resources to fund the dominant political parties. The new Iraq, ladies and gentlemen. Sounds like we taught them well. Hello, welcome to the show. She won't be going back. She's her own master. Last 
Santa Monica, home of the homeless, the only place in California right now that is not yet in flames. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show, and now, news of the warm. Won't you? I think you just did. Uh-oh, now a new source of methane. Forget about farting cows. Put that out of your mind. Really? I know it's hard. Researchers at the Technical University of Munich, Munch, spent several days sampling air around the perimeter of the Oktoberfest. Because of safety concerns, they weren't allowed inside. When they assembled their data, they estimated the festival put off or out. 1,500 kilograms, 3,300 pounds of methane. About 6.7 micrograms emitted per square meter per second, 10 times that of the city of Boston. This is reported in a paper posted in Atmospheric Chemistry and Physics, where it's under review. Uh Uh-oh. So don't, uh, don't take this to the bank. This much methane can't be explained, according to Science Magazine, merely by emissions in people's breath and other emissions, the researchers say, is much more likely to come from gas-powered cooking and heating appliances because festivals like Oktoberfest can be significant sources of methane. They should be included in future emissions inventories, the researchers say. Don't forget your Oktoberfest. And according to a new study, Europe's peatlands are in such a dry and fragile state that Britain may exit from them, no, sorry, that they could go into reverse, releasing rather than absorbing carbon. Peatlands have been a great carbon sink for uh, the knowable past, I guess, or the unknowable past. Now, researchers examining 31 peatlands across England, Ireland, Scandinavia, and continental Europe to assess changes during the last 2,000 years have published a study in Nature Geoscience of all places. Finding the most peatlands had become drier between 1800 and 2000 than they had been for the previous 600 years. The study shows that the drying of our bogs pardon me, you don't really have to, appears to have actually changed the process and the peatlands could now actually be turning into carbon sources rather than carbon sinks as they've traditionally been. 
not good news for our planet, says one of the uh, researchers. Dr. Graham Swindles. I said Dr. Graham Swindles from Leeds University. Leeds University! He said it's more important than ever that we safeguard peatlands with management and active restoration. The combined pressure of climate change and human impacts may push these vitally important carbon-storing ecosystems into becoming a global source of carbon emissions, he says. Peatlands, in case you wanted to know, are a type of wetland found in almost every country on Earth, from blanket bogs in Britain to swamp forests in Southeast Asia. Hey, I'm seeing a, a peatland tour. Tour all the world's peatlands. Bring big boots. Peat forms over the course of millions of years as waterlogged conditions slow the process of plant decomposition. Ugh. Natural peatlands across the world score, store more carbon dioxide than all other vegetation types in the world combined. But climate change, peat extraction, drainage, burning, and conversion to farmland have all taken their toll. About 15% of the world's peatlands have been drained. I know the feeling. Releasing greenhouse gases into the air, according to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. I think the peatland, I'm, I'm liking the idea of the peatland tour. From bogs to, well, more bogs, I guess. You Yes, you would get bogged down. Now, we've got the ultra-modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. You know, one of the great spectacles in modern Western societies is when boom goes bust. The latest sign that that's probably in the near future for the the fracking industry comes from our old friend Halliburton Industries. That's a, a case you haven't been keeping up. Halliburton is a company based in Houston. Dick Cheney used to be on the board of directors. They're an oil field services company, and Halliburton is bracing for a prolonged slump in demand for fracking services in the U- United States and Canada, according to the Houston Chronicle. The latest version of the shale boom is losing momentum, and the oil and gas industry again faces the prospects of another downturn. Halliburton said its third quarter profits fell by a third from a year ago, and its fourth quarter profits will fall by a fourth. No. And it will slash costs over the next three months as it pulls fracking fleets and crews from North American oil and gas fields. And the CEO does expect the same in the fourth quarter. Halliburton's oil and gas company customers continue to slow activity in the face of lackluster oil prices. The oil field services sector sells drilling, fracking, water management equipment, and other services to oil and gas companies. It's a leading indicator for the energy industry. One of the first areas the producers cut when times get tough and the indicators are not good. Halliburton's dis- dismal earnings and outlook followed those of Schlumberger, the world's largest oil field services company. It lost $11.5 billion in the third quarter and wrote down the value of its North American shale business by billions of dollars. M- many oil and gas companies are barely profitable nowadays. Well... About to, no, sorry. And the number of operating and drilling rigs in the United States has fallen by more than 200 over the past year. 
while energy companies, particularly those in shale, have lost favor with lenders and investors after failing to deliver returns. We talked about this last week, the failure of the shale miracle to actually make money, you know, like Uber or something. Um, despite years of energy love and investors plowing money into the shale sector. The Standard & Poor's Energy Index is down about 20% over the past year. In Texas, energy companies have cut nearly 6,000 jobs over the last four months. So, don't be buying no shale stock now, ladies and gentlemen. I don't, I don't give stock tips. I'm no Jim Cramer. And is the future of fracking now in doubt, asks BBC News. Quoting the National Audit Office of Britain, it has officially no opinion on whether fracking should continue in Britain, but its findings resemble a collection of nails available to be driven into the coffin of a once-trumpeted revolution. That's BBC's writing. The National Audit Office report is a hammer blow to the heady promises that gas extracted from fracturing shale rock could revolutionize the UK energy industry. It found no evidence to the report that prices would be lowered uncertainty as to whether it could viably produce gas in meaningful quantities. Hey, I can do that. No plan for cleanup if a fracking firm were to go bust. Serial breaches of agreed limits on earth tremors, strains on local authorities in fracking areas, and plummeting public support. Apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, is all good. The NAO found that the technology to do carbon capture and storage was nowhere near ready to allow shale gas to be burnt in a way compatible with the country's environmental targets. Dieter Helm, professor of energy studies at Oxford, author of another major government report, told the BBC, The world is awash with gas. We've got it coming out of our ears. It's hard to see there is any credible threat to future supplies, and quote unquote, and without that threat, of course, the shell gas revolution is going to turn into a counter revolution. A counter revolution, I said. I, I slurred it, but I said it. What the frack? A house is a very, very, very smart house. Amazon Echo and Google Home speakers have been compromised. No, not a sex scandal. Compromised by apps modified to spy on users after those apps have been approved by Amazon and Google. A Berlin-based research lab, security research labs, built eight smart spies promoted as a way to deliver horoscopes and generate random numbers. Well, I, I can't generate random numbers by myself, three. Once four, seven, and one. Once approved, the researchers updated the Echo skills and home actions to eavesdrop and steal passwords. They then alerted the U.S. companies, which blocked the software. Smart spies undermine the assumption that voice apps are only active as long as they are in dialogue with the user, said SRL's chief scientist. Creating them was a fairly easy process. It required relatively little programming experience, he said. They were activated when a user said something like, Alexa, turn on my horoscopes. Well, who hasn't said that? Or, okay, Google, ask my lucky horoscope to give me the horoscope for Taurus. 
when the user... It's good conversation, whatever you think. When the user tried to turn off the app, they heard a goodbye message, but the software continued running for several more minutes, sorry, seconds, rather than deactivating immediately. If in that time a person said a phrase including the word I or other chosen terms, their speech was transcribed and sent back to the lab. These are so-called white hat researchers who find these problems and vulnerabilities in order to report them in the hope that they might be fixed. One giveaway something wasn't right was the smart speaker light remained turned on, indicating he was still listening. He's, he's the um, researcher. Crushton Cole said uh, owners of smart speakers should keep an eye on that light. Yeah, right, like they don't have better things to do. A variation of the attack involved the app saying, an important security update is available for your device. Please say start update followed by your password. Anything the user said after the word start was then set back to the lab. Users should be very suspicious when any smart speaker asks for a password, which no regular app is supposed to do, said the researcher. David M., a security analyst at Kaspersky Lab, said people need to remember some of the apps offered for Amazon Echo and Google Home were made by third parties. No kidding. That's called an ecosystem, dude. We all need to be aware of the capabilities of these devices, he said. I'll work on that. They're smart listeners, not just smart speakers. Their capabilities extend to apps that we use with them, he said. Google said it had removed the spies. We're putting additional mechanisms in place to prevent these issues from occurring in the future. Amazon said, customer trust is important to us. We quickly blocked the skill in question and put mitigations in place to prevent and detect this type of skill behavior and take them down when identified which means it'll happen again, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't know, because I don't live in a smart house. More in a moment. Excuse me. Aren't you... Yeah, I'm Tom Broca. Wow. And you... Oh, I'm just out here for a little hike. Mm. What are you doing way out? Well, trying to avoid being asked about Matt Lauer. Part of my curiosity mm. goes with the job, but... Didn't I see you limping? Yeah, I hurt my ankle. The TV ad said I shouldn't take the medicine I was prescribed if I'm allergic to it, which I am. Oh, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd take Allerfree. What's Allerfree? It's the latest discovery from the lab that brought you Placebrex. Allerfree is the first medication specifically designed to be allergy-free. Wow. How do they do that? Unlike anything else you can buy, with or without a prescription, Allerfree contains no active ingredients. Nothing that can upset your stomach, give you a rash or headaches. Nothing that can trigger an immune response. Not even any flavoring? Not even any coloring. Huh. See? It's a pale gray little pill. Yeah. And because there are no active ingredients, you can take Allerfree for anything in full confidence that your only reaction will be a relief. Pain relief? Relief from worrying about allergies. Mm. Then your body can do its own job of healing. You know, that that sounds like the right kind of new age medicine. You said it. And no active ingredients must mean... No voice coming in at this point to talk very fast about side effects. Wow. The only side effect of allergy is peace of mind. Well, sounds like I should ask my doctor if allergy is right for me. You don't believe Tom Brokaw? <laughs> <laughs> Allerfree. 
from the makers of Placebrix, medicine that stays out of your way. It's a week full of irony. The, um, the one I want to spotlight right now is the case of <laughs> President Trump's uh, personal lawyer, more personal than lawyer at this point, uh, Rudy Giuliani. Now, aside from uh, getting involved in the whole Ukraine thing, and maybe some other places as well, we may find out about. Rudy may have made some trips to Saudi Arabia. I'm not. I'm not putting that past him. But you know, he did. He has had an actual kinda job over these last years. It has been as a partner in uh, a, a firm that consults on security. You see, he, he, he did the whole 9-11 thing, so he knows all about security. That's the premise. And uh, I think we've discussed on this program before that he's gotten a, a lot of hefty contracts for the services of his firm, if not him himself. Self. So it's, um, that, that's, the, that's sort of the um, straight line for the ironic punchline this week. NBC News revealed that one of its reporters, they have reporters at NBC, don't tell Matt Lauer, the, uh, one of their reporters received a, uh, a voicemail message. He'd been trying to get a, a response or comment from Giuliani, and it was uh, from Giuliani's number. And it wasn't exactly a response. It was a butt call. It was uh, three minutes, which is the most that his machine, his voicemail would uh, record before saying, Goodbye, Alexa. Uh, he, uh, Rudy, was just having a conversation with a guy in the room about uh, telling Bahrain that they needed some money really quick. And um, after that report, several other reports came out all saying, well, I got a butt call from Rudy Giuliani, too. Now, he hasn't spilled any beans, to use a Trumpism, but uh, he's still got his phone. You're driving your car. You're walking across the square. Your mobile green. And there's no one Nobody speaks by
But it could happen soon An astronaut's careless You get a butt call from the From Santa Monica, home of the homeless, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, some big inspector general news this week. A bunch of inspectors general got together. Multiple inspectors general, according to Lawfare a uh, legally-oriented blog. They signed on to a letter addressed to the Office of Legal Counsel, the OLC, which is in the Justice Department. It was, just for background, the Office of Legal Counsel, where John Yu, who worked when he wrote the opinion saying that torture wasn't torture if it didn't cause severe organ damage. That Office of Legal Counsel. Well, This week, the inspectors general expressed their support for the judgment of the inspector general of the intelligence community, the so-called IGIC, regarding the Ukraine whistleblower complaint as a, quote, urgent concern. So defining it meant that the uh, IG should have turned it over to Congress. The OLC opinion, which disagreed with that determination, and the letter from the inspectors general say it potentially undermines the independence of inspectors general throughout the government and should be withdrawn or modified, like John Hughes' OLC opinion was. After the torture, an internal government watchdog is starting an investigation into the U.S. Department of Agriculture's handling of climate science and communication after a series of reports in Politico found that the department has been routinely burying its work on climate change. Well, they were composting it. Come on. Even as farmers and ranchers are increasingly dealing with the harmful effects of that very same climate change. The USDA's Office of Inspector General told Congress it has already begun a formal inquiry into these concerns. Politico had revealed one case in which the USDA officials had tried to dissuade research partners at a university from disseminating their findings about how rising carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere led to a drop in key nutrients in rice, the world's most important food crop. A leading USDA crop scientist ultimately resigned from the department over the incident. He's now running a rice paddy in Asia. No, he's not. Dayline Washington, the Federal Aviation Administration, must work to restore public confidence. Well, that would be good in aircraft certification efforts. That would be nice. After two deadly Boeing 737 MAX crashes. That's from the U.S. Department of Transportation's Inspector General. The long-standing practice. See if this, see if this smells right to you. The long-standing practice of delegating tasks of certifying parts and systems in aircraft as safe. That, dele- that practice, that task, sorry, has been delegated to the aircraft manufacturers. 
Don't you think that's a good idea? What do you? It's come under criticism from lawmakers and others after the two crashes killed a bunch of people, more than 300. The report said the FAA faces a significant oversight challenge to ensure that companies conducting those tasks, quote, maintain high standards and comply with FAA safety regulations, unquote. Well, how are they going to do that? Ensure it. Yeah. Have the companies investigate themselves. What do you think? The report said but by next March, the FAA plans to introduce a new process that represents a significant change in its approach to overseeing aircraft designation efforts. The FAA had no immediate comment. The report also laid out other management changes and challenges that the FAA and Transportation Department face, including cybersecurity, airspace modernization, integrating drones into the airspace, air carrier safety oversight, and preparing for emerging vehicle automation technologies. Aside from that, carry on. And a special Veterans Affairs Office created two years ago to protect whistleblowers and punish incompetent or corrupt VA employees has been, according to the VA's Inspector General, a colossal failure. Well, at least they failed big. This was a blistering investigation report released by the IG of the VA. It comes as the VA district includes Georgia, replaced top leadership last month, and the main regional hospital near Atlanta for military veterans undergoes an investigation of medical practices amid widespread problems. Well, at least they, they kept it spread out Share it. Regional VA employees lodged close to 300 complaints with the Inspector General in the last two years, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, ranging from retaliation against employees by superiors to abuse of authority. Thank goodness that doesn't happen anywhere else in the government with regard to whistleblowers, or we'd have a... on our The Inspector General said the Nationwide Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection failed from top to bottom. That's called following orders, isn't it? Investigations were incompetently carried out and biased. The office also failed to protect whistleblowers' identity. Well, if you want to know who they are, you're going to that that's you're going to break those eggs, and allowed their information to get back to the people or offices being investigated, letting whistleblowers become the subjects of retaliatory investigations. The problems didn't end there. It, the uh, Inspector General's report said the office failed to hire investigators with experience or properly train them. Well, it's kind of like sort of like punk investigation. You know, you don't really have to play the in- top managers misconstrued the agency's mission and failed to carry out the mandates Congress gave it, and the agency redirected money from its budget for leadership development and process improvement. Altogether, a sterling, sterling performance by the VA. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. We copyrighted it. Till the next century. Oh, wait. Everybody does. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, not only Iraq, but Afghanistan would have been back in the news had it not been for uh, certain behavior by a certain (laughs) president. Um, Yes, the Afghan election results are still in doubt. That is not kept the Taliban from occasioning bombings, killing civilians. This in the wake of the conclusion, the cessation of the talks between 
the United States and the Taliban. The talks held in Doha, Qatar, uh, to try to uh, end America's longest war. It's it's still going on. And um, as I say, the Taliban have, if anything, raised the level of their uh, attacks on civilians. There was a, um, a bombing, a car bombing in September, which occasioned the uh, <laughs> president to conclude, to shut down the talks about a ceasefire or a peace agreement that the United States had been holding with the Taliban. The United States has announced 2,000 American troops will be pulled out of Afghanistan, unlike the troops that were supposed to be pulled out of Syria, but were only relocated nearer the oil. Anyway, that's how it looks from here. How does it look from there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, now creating podcasts selling mattresses, too. From the abundant American television truck in downtown Kabul, you can distinguish it from uptown Kabul by the barbed wire. I'm Mahmoud. <laughs> and I'm Hamid. We're thick and thwack. The Still Here Brothers. <laughs> Welcome to still another edition of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Afghan Boy Scouts. Remember our slogan, be repaired. <laughs> <laughs> well, my younger brother, if I didn't know better, I'd think the Taliban was angry about the end of peace talks. You, you mean because you think they only set off bombs when they're mad? <laughs> <laughs> well, They set off bombs when they're happy. They set off bombs when they're sad. You better stop now. You're halfway through writing a country music song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, my younger brother, mm -hmm. when you have our American friends saying they're reducing the footprint of their troops here, mm -hmm. our Taliban friends naturally try try to have a better position the next time peace talks start up. Oh, the next time they start up, the Americans won't have a seat at the table. No? No, they'll be crouching under it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Hello, I'm General Miller, commander of uh, Resolute Support. Uh, not a listener, but my comms people told me uh, I should call. General, yes. welcome. It's nice to have your comms people as listeners. Well, uh, actually, you're, you're just on their radar. <laughs> well, whether they're listening on the radio or radar, it's good to have them with us. <laughs> General, I understand you escaped an attack this week. Uh, yes, I did, Hamid. Mm. And I have to say, you don't understand the real ugliness of war until you experience the fact that... Uh, even a NATO commanding officer can be heard in a skirmish. Well, as I understand it, sir, the skirmish is one of the most painful places to be heard. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. But, General, yes. doesn't the fact that you were vulnerable tell us something about uh, the security situation right now? Uh, I mean, there are uh, peaks and valleys in every war. Well, in two decades, I count 52 peaks and 130 valleys. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we are going through a refocusing of force projection at this moment. We hear the Americans are reducing the force by 2,000 troops. Mm -hmm. So does that mean the enemy can focus just on who's left? <laughs> uh, uh, sir, the battlefield, as you know, has become more complex. 
IS and the Taliban are at war with each other as well as with the coalition and the government. So the strategy is uh, just like in Syria, the more complex a war gets, the more troops you withdraw? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not, sir. It's uh, more uh, a slight rebalancing of the former strategy that uh, we're fighting over here so we don't have to over there. And the rebalancing? We're withdrawing over here, so we don't have to over there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just one word can make such a difference. Mm -hmm. Like when your Toyota dealership used to offer a lifelike guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) That was... General, the U.S. Representative, Mr. Khalilzad, said the talks were making progress. So why were they suddenly canceled? There was a a car bombing that killed an American soldier, sir, Mm. and the uh, president felt that uh, you can't talk with people who do something like that. Mm -hmm. Killing a soldier in wartime really is a little over the line. (laughs) (laughs) And I know we're running long in keeping just one caller on the line, but we so rarely talk to commander. Although our boss at Afghanistan Public Radio acts like one, Mm -hmm. he even dresses like one. (laughs) (laughs) Except he bought his medals at a flea market. (laughs) (laughs) But sir, General, did you have any questions for us? Um, well, I, I was calling to say uh, we're having a personnel re- retention problem in the Afghan army. Mm. Too many are getting shot? Too many are leaving before getting shot. I, oh. So uh, we're reaching out to this audience and, and other audiences, uh, like Afghanistan's got talent, mm-hmm. uh, to just say to young men who may be in that audience to mm. say, your country needs you, your NATO partners need you, and there are 50 bucks American if you sign up before midnight Thursday. Well... We're happy to do our part in getting the message out, General. Mm, especially if there's 50 bucks American in it for us, too. <laughs> well, well, you may be hearing from us come uh, pledge drive time. Well, call the private number. That way there's no skimming. Yes, but before we let you go, General, mm. I have a suggestion. Y- yes, sir. We, we honor your service, of course, but... It's a NATO coalition, right? Yes, sir. And Turkey is in NATO, yes, right? Sir. Yes, yes, sir. If you remind President Erdogan that there are Kurds in Afghanistan, he'll send in plenty of his own troops. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Uh, Not a good plan. Thanks for the call. We had help today from Afghanistan Gas and Electric, reminding you that power lines can't cause fires if they're never installed. Legal services for Carside Talk by the law firm of Ketchum and Nukem. I'm Hamid. And I'm Mahmoud. Join us next time we say we're back again with another edition of Carside Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Now the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. During Sunday night's Dallas Cowboys game, the uh, KXAS in Dallas-Fort Worth made a mistake by not immediately interrupting the football game with a tornado warning, they say. Although our meteorologists were tracking thunderstorms across the area when the National Weather Service issued the tornado warning, we delayed breaking into programming for six minutes. Our meteorologists were also streaming live weather coverage throughout the evening on our site. We also alerted the football audience to our weather live stream throughout the game. When it comes to dealing with severe weather, we know that seconds matter. We should have broken into football programming sooner. We apologize and want you to know that we're doing everything in our power to make sure that this does not happen again. The channel is trying to prevent 
uh, tornadoes from happening during football. No, we look forward to regaining, regaining the trust of anyone we may have disappointed. Dateline Essex Junction, Vermont. A Halloween charity event in Essex Junction is apologizing to a Vermont school district for a scene some people say went too far. This is Halloween apology number one. The Slate Valley Unified Union School District says this year's show hit close to home with its opening performance of an alien invasion at a high school homecoming. Superintendent Brooke Olson Farrell said a school district staff member and many parents interpreted it as a school shooting. They were also upset that Fairhaven Union High School, where a man was accused of plotting a school shooting last year, was mentioned. The staff member told her, according to Olson Farrell, the first scene was set up as a school hallway and a character named Jake took a gun out of a locker. They felt that name was too similar to Jack Sawyer, the man arrested and accused in the thwarted shooting plot at Fairhaven. Olson Farrell called the scene insensitive and thoughtless. Quote, my concern is that we shouldn't be using school violence. It's not a form of entertainment. Board Chair Julie Finnegan also expressed disappointment. Until you live through this and your community lives through this, you have no idea the effect it can have on our community and our teachers in our buildings. We really, really want people to know this is not okay. The director of Nightmare Vermont, Jane Bigley, says she's deeply sorry for any pain and discomfort the scene caused. She said the scene was misinterpreted. They failed in getting their anti-bullying and anti-violence message across. We had no intention of referencing Jack Sawyer, she said. We definitely did not mean for that similarity of the name to happen. We tried to be careful about what we said in that scene, but I think the subject matter was too inflammatory to begin with, and that's why we've cut it. The school district also criticized the show's reference to Parkland, Florida, where 17 students and faculty members were shot and killed in 2018. Beagley says all school shooting references have been taken out of the show. After um, (laughs) President Trump's tweet Tuesday morning referencing his impeachment inquiry as a lynching, Texas' longest-running music program released a tweet they have since apologized for. Quote, I can't wait to see your fat ass behind bars, said a tweet from the Austin City Limits account. That tweet has since been deleted, and the show has issued an apology. And also, he he was misunderstood. It was a lunching. He, the owner of a bookstore in the northern town of Reina in Israel has apologized after his shop was found to be selling an Arabic translation of Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. The owner of the bookstore said he didn't realize the book was biased against Jews. A social activist spotted Hitler's book at the shop last week, told the store and owner that it should not be sold. He said his son had taken the book from the warehouse and put it on the shelves without understanding the seriousness of the matter. It had been taken off the shelf as soon as he was informed of the nature of the book. Quote, my shop has existed for many years and no such case has happened to me. I do not know at all about it. It will not happen again. We will be more careful in the future. I apologize to anyone who is hurt. Unquote. No complete edition of Mein Kampf has ever been published in Hebrew. So, you know, how's he going to know? How's he supposed to know? Deadline Madison, Wisconsin, a Madison Cafe and Music venue announced this week is changing its name, saying it has no right to use the name of a Native American tribe. The Winnebago opened earlier this year. Co-owners said in an open letter to the community they decided to name it after the street it's located on. But the Winnebago is not just a street, 
said the co-owners. The Winnebago are a people, and we had no right to use their name. They learned from community members and bands playing at the venue, bands playing at the venue, that the name was appropriation of Native American culture. I feel really embarrassed we didn't think this through, think our name through more, said John DeHaven. We should never have started this way. They've issued a formal apology to the Ho-Chunk Nation, the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska, and indigenous populations as a whole. Quote, I've learned how easy it is for someone that looks like me and grew up with the advantages that I grew up with to totally disregard an entire nation of people. That's been a tough lesson to reckon with, said John DeHaven. He said the best possible outcome is that other people can use this mistake to further a cultural conversation about how they look at themselves in the world. The name change will be official January 1st of next year. They have not yet settled on a new name. I suggest Redskins. It's it's available. A school in India has apologized after photos emerged of students wearing cardboard boxes on their heads during an exam. The point was to discourage cheating. (laughs) Enough said. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden apologized this week for a 1998 comment suggesting that the impending impeachment proceedings against then-President Clinton could be seen as a, quote, partisan lynching. You know, this... uh, came back into the news after President President Trump described what he's going through as a lynching. In October 1998, Biden said, even if the president should be impeached, history is going to question whether or not this was just a partisan lynching. This wasn't the right word to use, and I'm sorry about that, Biden tweeted this week. Trump, on the other hand, chose his words deliberately today. Biden wasn't alone in referring to Clinton's impeachment proceedings as a lynching way back 21 years ago. The Washington Post identified at least five other lawmakers who also compared the Clinton proceedings to a lynching or referred to Clinton's opponents as a lynch mob, when, of course, what they actually meant was a lunch mob. In an essay published in the student paper on Monday, Chapman University's president, Danielle Struppa, has apologized to the reporters of the student paper for the university's insistence they run any coverage of George W. Bush's visit to the campus, past his team prior to publication. The apology confirmed the university did indeed tell reporters the paper would need to submit the article for prior review. He went on to say this was not the standard of the university's values of free speech, not even to Facebook's, oh sorry, he didn't say that, and apologized to the students. Pope Francis apologized this week. His apology was about two men entering a church near the Vatican, taking controversial statues and tossing him into the Tiber River. As bishop of the diocese, I apologize, he said. First time the full membership of the Synod of Bishops of the Amazon was gathered since the statues were taken from the Church of St. Mary in Traspatina, October 21st. Referring to the statue as Pachamama, like many media had done, Pope Francis told bishops at the Synod the statues had been displayed in the Roman Church without any idolatrous intention, although the men who took the statues claimed on social media that they did so because the statues were idols. Pacamama is a term for Mother Earth used by some South American indigenous people. The Pope also said the statues, which floated, explain that if you will, had been recovered by Italian police. They were not damaged. Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg 
uh, tweeted an apology to people who have been contacted by people falsely impersonating her or claiming to represent her. Quote, it has come to my attention that a few people have been trying to impersonate me or falsely claim that they represent me in order to communicate with political leaders, famous actors, singers, and musicians. I apologize to anyone who's been contacted and maybe even misled by this kind of behavior, Thunberg tweeted. I hope that those who want to sincerely reach out to me will do so using the recognized channels, she said. She did not provide information on any specific impersonations or false claims. She got an agent? I hope. (laughs) There are about a dozen agents, I hope it's not. A Japanese hotel chain, HIS Group, has apologized for ignoring warnings that its in-room robots were hackable and enabled individuals to remotely view video footage from the devices. The uh, hotel is staffed by robots, the Henna Hotel, Guests can be checked in by humanoid or dinosaur reception bots before proceeding to the room, and facial recognition technology lets them into the room. Then a bedside robot assists with other requirements. Several weeks ago, a security researcher revealed on Twitter he had warned the ownership group about the bed bots being easily accessible, noting they sported unsigned code allowing a user to tap a tag to the back of the robot's head and allow access via the streaming app of their choice. The researcher made the hack public after he didn't hear back from the hotel. The vulnerability allowed guests access to cameras and microphones in the robot remotely so they could watch and listen to anyone in the room. In a tweet, the HIS group apologized, saying that the robots had been updated to fix the vulnerability. For now... The co-director of a New York City art studio whose Halloween decorations in a window of her home drew claims of racism has resigned from her post following a public protest. Halloween apology number two. Danny Rose resigned from Art Shack, Brooklyn. She apologized earlier this week for the display that featured cutouts of brown paper dolls that appeared to be hanging by their necks from strings. The display has been taken down. It prompted a community protest. Rose, in her statement, said the images were based on the horror movie Annabelle, but because they were made of brown craft paper and hanging from nooses, they were deeply racially offensive. No one should have had to point out this obvious fact to me, and I immediately removed the figures when I was contacted by a parent from the school across the street. I understand that ignorance is no excuse and apologies are not enough, but nonetheless, I want to apologize sincerely to my neighbors and my community. City Council member Lori Kumbo was among those to condemned the decoration, she said the apology was not enough. Quote, I'm no longer accepting sorry. We're not accepting apologies. We're not accepting I'm sorry. We're not accepting it was a stupid mistake. We're not accepting I didn't know any better. We're not accepting that anymore. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. You're not going to continue to disrespect my community and my people with stories about I didn't know any better, unquote. One more Halloween apology. The owner of a McDonald's restaurant in North Andover, Massachusetts, issued an apology after some customers were outraged by a shocking Halloween decoration near the cash register. A Halloween decal showed a person hanging from a tree. But it was a Mac person. And Actors Hour in New York issued a lengthy apology for allowing Harvey Weinstein to attend a performance at a Lower East Side bar on Wednesday night. One of the performers told Variety she felt traumatized by his presence. Another yelled at Weinstein and was escorted out. The performance venue posted a brief apology on Thursday. On Friday, Alexandra Laliberté, 
who runs the venue, issued a lengthier apology on Facebook and Instagram. I want to sincerely apologize to people, any people, male or female, who were re-traumatized, hurt, or felt disrespected this week at Actors Hour. Mr. Weinstein will not be attending any future Actors Hour events. Because he's human scum? The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on the radio, whenever you want it on your audio device of choice, with or without mattress ads. And it'll be just like you stopping by the Wiltern Theater in Los Angeles on November 6th to see Lukewarm Water Live with Derek Smalls, Steve Lukather, Dweezil Zappa, Steve Vai, Rick Wakeman, Donald Fagan, so many more. Either live or live via satellite. And tickets are extremely available. Just saying. It'd be just like that if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show shout out to the San Diego desk for its contributions to today's program. And to uh, Pam Halstead. And to Jenny Lawson for help with the broadcast. I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. And you're not. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.